I think I need to give one more kind of warning announcement type thing, so to speak. So uh, for those of you that don't know, this is officially air conditioning season, and I'm strictly an air conditioning type pastor. Uh, I sweat in the coldest of environments. Um, and so as we kind of approach summer, uh, if you're somebody who gets cold, I would bring a jacket uh, because I tend to dictate the, the temperature and I, I don't want to freeze you out, but I also don't want to melt up here either. It'd be like a saggy popsicle. I don't know how else to explain it. So last week in our uh, series, The Pursuit, we talked about all that Jesus had accomplished for us on the cross and through his resurrection. Now, an appropriate response to what Jesus did, we said this last week, is faith. And an appropriate response to faith is pursuit. Jesus, as we will see, is readily ours. But like all relationships, our relationship with Jesus doesn't just magically work. It's not just magically successful. We have to pursue Jesus in order to experience Jesus. And so today we're going to take a look at some of the things that it takes to pursue Jesus. And as we go throughout the series, we're going to talk about some important aspects of our pursuit in Jesus that will help us get to know who Jesus is, what Jesus thinks, how Jesus wants us to live. And so uh, I hope that you'll be here for this whole series. I hope it will make an impact for you. I know that every time I get into the word, it makes an impact for me. So we're going to start in Luke chapter eight this morning. I'm going to read eight verses. It's 40 through 48. And this is what it says. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman who was there had been who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and just touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. The woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, this is one of the most powerful stories to me throughout the entirety of of scripture. Now this woman who came and pursued Jesus just to get close enough to touch the hem of his cloak did so because she was what was known as ceremonially unclean. Now back in the Old Testament, uh, women during their time, I don't know how else to say it, were seen as unclean. Well, for some unfortunate women who had uh, issues with their reproductive tract, like this woman did, who bled for much of her life, 12 years at this point, they would have been seen as unclean for the entirety of that time. It would have made her an outcast in society. She would have had to really remove herself from public life. Much of her family would have stopped having anything to do with her. It's really a sad situation. And when you think about being ceremonially unclean, we really have to understand what that means. So anyone that touched her at all, hand to hand, brush by her, shoulder to shoulder, or anyone she touched, shake a hand, touch the hem of a garment, would have now been seen also as unclean. But one thing that I learned this week that I'm sure maybe I had heard at one point but had forgotten, anything she sat on, 
anything she was in the presence of would have also been seen as unclean. So that means all furniture, bed, everything. So she's not being invited into anybody's house. She's not having any type of relationship. She's not allowed to sit in public places. Everything that this woman touches is unclean. It's really, really, really a sad situation. And for 12 years, she's been in this situation. For 12 years, she's been avoided. For 12 years, she's been embarrassed. And her life at this point is hopeless, except for this teacher named Jesus that she has heard about. And hearing of all the miracles that he has performed and hearing of the difference that he has made in people's life, she decides, I have to see this Jesus. It is really, literally at this point, my only hope to be in the presence of this Jesus. She's tried everything. Doctors can't figure it out. Religious teachers can't figure it out. Priests haven't been able to help her. Synagogue leaders haven't been able to help her. She cannot find healing. But she knows that Jesus has changed lives. And her faith tells her that she just needs Jesus. If she could just touch him. I want you to think about this. Not speak to him. Not have a conversation about what's happened to her. Not talk about all the struggles she's facing. If she could just touch him. And not even his person. If she could just reach his clothing. She has faith that he will make a difference for her. But in order for that to happen. In order for that to happen. She has to ignore every teaching she's ever heard of. About what's acceptable. She has to completely ignore public opinion. She has to say, I don't care what you have to think about me. I don't care what you'll say about me. I don't care about the retribution that I may face. I just need Jesus. Sometimes pursuing Jesus means ignoring what others say is socially acceptable. Sometimes pursuing Jesus means ignoring what others say is good or okay. Sometimes pursuing Jesus is radical and it is brave. And our pursuit of Jesus is going to require us to throw caution to the wayside, to not worry about the opinions of others, to not worry about the convenience or inconvenience that we at times may cause for others. This woman saw the importance of making Christ first. So be unapologetic like she was unapologetic about your pursuit of Christ. That's what I learned from her. Pray in public, read scripture, share your faith, make Christ your first priority. Understand that if you can only just get in Christ's presence, he will change your life. Be unapologetic about his importance to your life because pursuing Christ means making him your number one priority. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, 18 through 29. It says a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. 
And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for a rich for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Right? If you can't pay for it, if you can't afford it, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, this is like one of those times where Peter has an epiphany. Hey, we left all we had to follow you. I know I'm broke, but I did what you just said. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. So what he's trying to, to make clear there is if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, like this rich young ruler wanted to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to make me, you have to make God your number one priority. So this very wealthy ruler, he approaches Jesus and he's chiming in. I've done all these great things. I have money. I've kept the commandments. I want to inherit eternal life. And he's working on this assumption that Christ through his actions, through his good deeds, has gained some measure of status with God, right? And through his good works, through his ability to help out the poor and help out the needy, Christ, that's why Christ is who Christ is. And Jesus is in the mode of correcting this wrong teaching, this wrong idea in his mind. And he responds by telling him in verse 20, if you remember, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now, one of the things I found interesting about Jesus' response here in verse 20 is that all of the commandments he mentioned are commandments that deal with human to human interaction. It's how we treat others. Jesus said nothing in this instance about your relationship with God. The commandments he specifically mentioned have to do with how we treat our fellow man. If we want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, then we cannot wrong our fellow human being. That's step number one. The other four commandments not mentioned all have to do with our relationship with God. And the man here, you can imagine he's happy. He says, hey, I've kept all those things. I, I haven't wronged anybody. I haven't stolen. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't killed anybody. You know, I'm, I'm doing the right things. And then Jesus says, well, there's one more thing that you have to do. He gives him the answer that he didn't want. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. It's when he heard this that he became very sad because, as it tells us, he was very wealthy. See, the problem here was that the man's priorities were not in order. His love for money got in the way of his pursuit and his love for Jesus. And what you need to know about this passage is it's not specifically about money. Okay, For this young man that approached Jesus, that's exactly what it was about. Because money became his number one. Money became his God. Anytime you choose something, anytime you put something in front of your relationship with Christ, you are committing the same sin that this man is committing. You have said, Jesus is not worthy of being my number one priority. It was about this man's inability to recognize that something else had taken the place that Christ belonged and his unwillingness to change that. All of us at times in life get our priorities a little bit skewed. 
You know, maybe we're chasing success in our career. We are chasing that dollar. Maybe we're pursuing happiness. We just want to be happy. We're going to do whatever it takes for us to be happy. We're chasing pleasure. We're chasing whatever we're chasing. Whatever becomes number one. Maybe your thing that you've placed in front of Jesus is just your contentment or your ease of life. I don't want to go to church on Sunday morning because I'd rather sleep in, right? I don't want to have that aspect of the pursuit of Jesus because it's easier on me to hit snooze 50 million times or better yet, not even hit my, turn my alarm on at all, right? So we all have those things at times in life that we place in front of God. And this man chose something else. Our pursuit of Jesus boils down to our priorities. Christ deserves to be the number one thing in your life. But the question is, is he? Pastor, when you say number one, do you mean in front of my wife or my husband? Yeah. Do you mean in front of my children? I do. I don't like that. Hey, me neither. Me neither. I'm being honest with you. I have a hard time putting anything in front of my wife and kids. I just do. Even when other things may at times take their place, it's usually to help try to provide something for my wife and kids, right? But scripture makes it very clear that when Christ is first, when God is first, And when everything is flowing through that lens of following Christ, of obeying his commandments, of obeying God's word, of being godly, that everything else falls perfectly into place. When my relationship with Christ is at its strongest, I love my wife better. When my relationship with Christ is at its strongest, I am more patient with my kids. When my relationship with Christ is where it needs to be, I am a better worker. I'm not talking about, I'm just telling you in my experience, this is true. When my relationship with Christ is where it needs to be, my hold on monetary things and and just possessions is less. I have more faith and more confidence that God is going to take care of things. It's when I start to fall back that I get a little selfish from time to time. I'm a little short with my kids, right? That anger from whatever reason pops up. I'm too focused on trying to obtain goodies. I'm worried about how much money's in my bank account as if God hasn't promised to take care of me. When my priorities are not in order, meaning Christ is not first, the entire list gets out of whack. And that is what Jesus is trying to get this young man to understand. It may seem like everything's going well. It may seem like everything's great. It may make you uncomfortable to say that I've got to put something in front of my children or my spouse. But you need to know that at the end of the day, the reason that you put Christ first is for your children and your spouse. It's for your success in all areas. Because if you can reflect the character of Christ in your life, you will find blessing no matter where you look. Not to say there won't be hardship, not to say you won't have struggles, but if Christ is number one, where he should be, you can try me out on this, test it. You will find that everything else just seems to fall perfectly into place. If Christ isn't your number one priority, will you reorder what you need to 
Will you reorder what you need to? Because I will tell you that if your desire is a, a true pursuit of Christ, then you will reorder those priorities. And if you are truly pursuing Christ, you will inherit then the kingdom of heaven. Because the results of an earnest pursuit of Christ are guaranteed. Guaranteed. I'm going to read two passages in Matthew, and I want to kind of show you how those things intertwine. The first is chapter 7, 7 through 8. The second will be 18, 12 through 14. But Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, so keep that in mind as we read Matthew 18, 12 through 14. This is Jesus, and he's speaking to followers in the form of a parable. And he says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, he, will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I wanted to read these two passages together because combined, they paint a really sincere picture of our interactions with Christ. First, if we pursue Christ, we will find him. It is a promise in scripture. It is a guarantee that if you knock, the door will be open. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. So if you chase after Jesus, you will find him. It is a promise. Your needs will be fulfilled. Doors will be opened. And it is a guarantee that Christ willingly makes to us. And he's able to do this because of the position that he's in. And we learn about that position in Matthew 18, where he talks about chasing the wandering sheep. How the shepherd, Jesus often referred to himself as the shepherd. How the shepherd will leave the 99 sheep that he knows are safe that he knows where they are at to go find the one that he does not have to go find the one that is in danger to go find the one that is astray. It is Jesus saying that he is chasing after you. He's chasing after you. And the reason that he can willingly make this promise, the reason that he can willingly say that if you seek, you will find And if you knock, the door will be open. The reason that he can say that to us is because he is actively chasing after you and me. So that when we finally decide, I'm going to knock, I'm going to seek, I'm going to ask for, rather than having to go on some journey to find him, all we really have to do is just turn around. Isn't that amazing? Christ is chasing after you, which is why you can find him so easily, which is why he can promise you that you will get him because he is right there. He's right there. It is phenomenal. I think our service is on in my pocket. I'm hearing myself preach. It is. I'm doing pretty well, too. I was getting excited. I'm like, what is that noise? Oh, it's me. A narcissist dream. Just kidding. And we're off track. ADHD, it happens to adults. But it just blows my mind 
It completely blows my mind when I realize that Christ is actively pursuing me. I can't speak to you, but much of my life I've resembled like a bag of dog you-know-what lit on fire. I don't know how. i just not really worthy of pursuit. I mean, maybe I have a low self-esteem. I don't know. But like, I've been polished. I've been shined up a little bit. And this is as good as it's gotten so far. That's not to say things won't get better. But Christ, seeing my imperfections, knowing that I am far from what I should be, is still in pursuit of me. And I promise you that he is in pursuit of you as well. And that's why when we pursue Jesus, the results are guaranteed. You will find him. He sees the 99 and says, you, the one, are worth leaving what is safe. Why? Because he wants to bring you to the flock. He wants you to be a part of the flock. And he will do whatever he can to find you, to pursue you, to ensure like the 99, you are provided for. Christ pursues you. It's a testimony to your worth. And it's a testimony to his desire. So when you finally decide to make him priority number one, you don't have to chase him down. You don't have to go on some crazy, dangerous journey. You merely have to turn around. The question is, Will you turn around today? Will you turn around today? Will you allow him to take the place that he rightfully deserves to be, which is number one in your life? No one can make that decision for you. We can talk with you. We can discuss things. We can try to show you the way that's worked for us. But when it comes down to it, only you can decide if Christ is the most important thing to you. And that is where we all have to be. Bow your heads with me as we pray and the band comes up to lead us in worship. God, I come to you right now. I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time and this opportunity to dive into your word. God, I am so thankful that your son, who reflects perfectly your character, pursues us just like you have shown throughout history that you will pursue your people. You see us as worthy. You see us as enough. You desire us. And God, we may never understand that. We may not be able to wrap our hands around it, our heads around it, but God, it is truth. It is absolute truth that you seek us and we must pursue you. All we have to do to find you is to just turn around. But God, to stay with you, that's going to take courage. That's going to take us putting you first on our priority list. That's going to take us doing the things that others may say isn't acceptable or is wrong. They may call us selfish. They may think that we are dumb. But God, I pray that everyone here today sees the worth of the pursuit that they see the worth of chasing after you, knowing that the entire time you are chasing after us. 
so that we can run this race that we call life together. I pray that blessing over everyone here today, God, that they would be able to run their race hand in hand with you. And God, today I ask for all of us, myself included, if there's anything in our life that gets in the way of that pursuit, convict us of it. Convict us of it. Remove those things from our path that would help to lead us astray, that would point us in the wrong direction. Give us the courage to say, enough's enough. Christ will be my number one. God, we ask these things in Jesus' powerful name, knowing that when we ask, we will receive. And when we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door will be opened. Amen. If you need to talk to me today about salvation, about your relationship with Christ, about what all that means, come do that. Or get my phone number from me and let's talk sometime this week or email or however you want to do it. But let's have that conversation. Let's have that conversation because it's really important. You want to talk about what membership looks like with our church and what all that means. Let's talk about that as well. If you need to pray, I'm going to be back in the back. Come pray with me. No matter what it's about, let's pray together. Let's pray together. There's power in prayer. We saw that today. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. Maybe not always in the way we think we want it or should have it. But when you ask God, God will respond with an answer. So come pray with me. Otherwise, stand right now, worship, contemplate what was said today, think it over, remove all distractions and just give it over to God.